the senior staff at Trinity has been really excited for a long time. Now we plan message series out months in advance and we've been excited to start this series for a very long time. And there are a number of reasons why. Of course, you can see in the news the reasons why this subject is going to be important to our culture. But what we want to talk about today is the fact that social justice is not new. Social justice is not a human construct. Social justice comes from the heart of God. And so what we're going to prove today is we look at the scriptures together that there is not only a biblical basis, but there is a heart basis from the life of God and the character of God himself that draws us into social justice responsibly. Now, we're going to study this prophet Micah. Now, we've had some words that we've shared and read together from Micah. Now, when did Micah live? Micah was several hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He's kind of in the same era as the prophet Isaiah. But what Micah was doing is he was preaching to the kingdom of Israel that had been divided from the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, bear with me on this. The faith family that Jesus was born into was divided at that time into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And at that time, Michael was called to prophesy to the kingdoms and to basically give them this message. You, the leaders of Israel, you, the leaders of Judah, if you dare to oppress your own people, if you dare to take their land from them and sell it for your own good, if you dare to cause them to give you bribes in order to be received into the religious environment, then there will be a day of oppression coming that you have never seen the like thereof. That was Micah's warning. He was a serious prophet, and he had a serious message because the leaders of his people at that time were doing just that thing. Now, corruption in politics makes the news here all the time, doesn't it? Now, we've not seen anything new there. They had corruption in politics from the very get-go as Israel became its own kingdom following its own kings. And when Micah was preaching and prophesying, he was saying words like this to the leaders of that day. He was saying, this is not what Micah says, but who says? This is what the Lord says. He says, as for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. You see, the prophets would do this. The prophets, just like the religious leaders of the time, they would collect the tithes of the people Israel, and they would live off those tithes. Those tithes would be tithes of food. And so these prophets would collect those prophets with an IT and would live off of that as food. And as long as they had that, and as long as they received bribes from people in the form of food so that they could eat more food, then they would proclaim peace. It would be like this. It would be like if we got to the end of the message and I did our normal confession and absolution time, and I said this, instead of your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if I said something like this, if you will bring me a brand new $10 bill and put it right here at my feet, then your sins will be forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It would be a religious spiritual bribe, would it not? This is exactly how the prophets of Micah's day were treating their own people. What about the leaders of the people of Israel? 
Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, says Micah, you rulers of Israel who despise what, church? Justice. Now, the concept of justice today is going to be key for us, obviously by the title of the series, but the concept of justice that comes from God is going to be key. You who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness, her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets will tell fortunes for money. So you've got a system of religious political corruption that is deep, and it absolutely destroys the concept of justice, bringing judgment on the leaders of Israel, and by default, on the people that they lead. So here's what's happening in the whole book of Micah that we're going to study this month as we do generous justice. What we're, what's happening is you're seeing this cycle of judgment where Micah comes along and says, this is going to happen to you, Israel, and to you leaders, and to you prophets. But then right behind that, you're going to see hope. There is always behind the judgment a message of hope. Now, this is what I want you to hear at the very beginning of this series, that justice is about the hope of God. Justice is not about political balance. Justice, not a, justice is not about political preference. Justice is not about even making political right versus wrong. Justice comes from the heart of God and is aligned with both judgment and hope. And so as you see Micah's prophecies unfold, you're going to see that he's going to render judgments against the human behaviors of the people he leads. But then right behind that, you're going to see hope that comes from God. And so today, as we talk about what generous justice is, we are qualifying justice beyond the human rendering of the word. We're qualifying it as a godly concept, something that comes from the heart of God. Now, we render the word justice here in legal terms, meaning that the, the balances and the scales of life are even, that people are treated equally. But we understand and know that in history, that has not been the case. In fact, even in our very pledge to the flag, and I don't want you to say this because if you say it, it means we would need to find the flag and stand up and remove our hats and cover our hearts. I don't want you to say it, so we don't want to do it improperly but I want you to look at the bottom of the pledge. Look at the very bottom words of the pledge where it says one nation under God. And we keep the words under God in our pledge, do we not? Because we are a nation under God. And as such, because we are under God, we are indivisible as a people with what, church? Liberty and justice. The two things together, liberty and justice like judgment and hope. There's a balance. This justice that comes from God is about liberty and justice. It's about the balance between them. It's about the idea that people can be free and be kept in balance as to the right thing to do with their freedom. This is a concept that comes from God. In this way, liberty and justice is for who? The pledge says it for all 
Liberty and justice are not just for one kind of people by the color of their skin. Liberty and justice are not just for one kind of people by the amount of money they make. Liberty and justice are not for people who have just who, for people who have jobs and not for people who don't have jobs. Liberty and justice is not just for people who own property and not for those who don't own property. See, the thing is, is that liberty and justice are for all. They're for all. And when God brings his justice to bear on the earth through the person of Jesus, that justice will be for all. When Jesus comes on the clouds, the scripture says, what about that event? It says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And God will draw every eye to the person of Jesus. In a similar way, Through the words of the prophet Micah, look at what it says in chapter 4 of Micah. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Every nation will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. What I want you to hear is the concept of God's justice. How his grace is all over it because it's available to all people. And that is everyone who's ever been made. And so why would we not render justice in our great nation in the same way to all people, to all nations who come to these shores, to all people who have grown up within them? V alluded to this holiday we call Juneteenth. Now, here's a trick question. Check your calendar. What day is Juneteenth on, church? June 19th. That's where that came from, right? It was not a trick question, we promise you. Now, I want to share with you a little of my history. Many of you know I grew up in the south in the shadow of this mountain. It is Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Lookout Mountain also spills over the North Georgia border right into Georgia. And in fact, it was the scene of a couple of really great battles during the Civil War. And here's what happened in a nutshell in the place where I grew up. What happened was the Union Army came down and captured Chattanooga because the Confederate Army was not prepared to defend it. And so the Confederate Army was driven out of Chattanooga. The Union Army captured it. But then in a little field right next to Chattanooga, which, by the way, only had 2,500 citizens at that time, in a little field right next to Chattanooga in a place called Chickamauga. Say that with me, one, two, three. Chickamauga. If you say that 20 times fast, you'll get tongue twisted, right? Chickamauga has a beautiful battlefield monument to this day where you can go and ride bikes and walk around in miles and miles of beautiful rolling hills. But 35,000 people lost their lives on the battlefield at Chickamauga fighting over this one little place called Chattanooga that had 2,500 citizens in it. Why? Because Chattanooga was a central hub for the railroads in four different directions all throughout the South. The Union Army knew if they captured Chattanooga, they could cut off the supply lines for the Confederacy and kill it from within. So they fought and 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 35,000 people lost their lives. There was a particular battle that happened right on the outskirts 
of the Confederate lines, the Confederate line that was kind of coming against the Union line, there was a flank that was being compromised, and one particular Union general by, the, general by the name of Granger was sitting with his people in reserves. And Granger didn't receive any orders to do this, but he saw that the Union line was getting ready to break on one of the flanks. So he decided courageously to send his reserves, and you guys know what reserves are in the Army, right? They are held back until they're absolutely needed, and then they're pushed forward. This guy took his reserve corps and sent it to the rescue of the Union line that was buckling, whereby Union, the Union hold of Chattanooga was being compromised. See, Chattanooga had already been won by the Union, right? But they were under siege by the Confederacy, and they were getting ready to lose Chattanooga again, which would have propelled the war in a different direction. Granger decided to send his reserves to help shore up the Union line, and when he did that, he was able to hold off the Confederates, and so the Union Army retained Chattanooga, and the course of the war became what we know in history. Within just a couple of years later, it ended. The reason I'm telling you about Granger is that Granger is the same guy whose courage was recognized. He was the same guy who was picked to tell the good news of generous justice to the slaves in the South all the way as far as Galveston, Texas. Now, if you've ever been to Galveston before, it is on the shoreline. It's as far south into Texas as you can go. Granger was chosen because of his courage and valor to take the good news of the emancipation of American slaves as far deep into the heart of the South as you could go. Here are the words of that proclamation that he shared. He said, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. Says this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And look at this. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen, freed slaves, the freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that, there will not, that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported by idleness either there or elsewhere by order of Major General Granger. He read this in Galveston, Texas, thereby informing the entire region that slaves were heretofore no longer slaves. They are now employees or potential employees. Some of those freed slaves escaped and went north and went across the Mason-Dixon line. Some of them had the relationships with their former masters where they could stay and work for them and have an actual wage. Some of them were persecuted. Many of them were discriminated against. Slavery and its effects went on in the culture even though there was a proclamation of emancipation. And to this very day, some of the effects of that still exist. Even as such, the message is still clear. This place is a place of liberty and justice for all. And it will always be. 
So as long as it takes for that message to get out, we're going to get the message out. Started with Granger and it headed south. The concept of freedom. Think about what freedom means. Just like in the proclamation that Granger shared, he shared this and he said this. He said, the slaves who are free, they are capable of taking a new direction in their life where they're going to work for wages and be paid. And they are owed that dignity. But they didn't instantly, as a culture in Galveston, Texas, instantly, they didn't become a paid labor force overnight, did they? Freedom was a process. It was proclaimed to be so that there is liberty and justice for all. But now 200 years later, we are still implementing that proclamation in the lives of all Americans, aren't we? I would wager it's the same in the church. This is Galveston, Texas today. If you've ever been there, it's lovely. It's got beautiful shoreline, stuff for the kids to do. It's a vacation spot. Was it a vacation spot in 1865? No, it was a war zone. Today, because we have a beautiful, liberated, free country, it has healed and it has grown. And our people have healed and grown as well. We're not all the way there yet, though. We must remember that liberty and justice are for all. This reminds me of the words that Jesus quoted when he stood up in front of the synagogue one day and he unrolled a scroll and he declared a proclamation of emancipation for all souls. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, or the word is also rendered blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Where Jesus says all people are free from sin in me. Jesus goes about this work to demonstrate what that looks like. He finds people who are brokenhearted and down, and he lifts their spirits. He finds people whose bodies are broken, and he restores them. He finds people who are broken in the head, and he reorients them to how they can become more like him in thought, word, and deed. He finds them, and he demonstrates God's freedom, his liberty, and his justice and balance, his freedom through his good news. The good news that he died on the cross and gave us a brand new life, a brand new start. And from this moment forward, we are free to see every living human being as a creature of God, not only equal. Equal is not enough. Not only equal, but blessed, loved, cherished and sought after by the very God who made them. Equality is not enough. It is not enough. God's grace is enough. Look at what it says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah goes on at the end of everything that he's done, judgment and hope, judgment and hope, judgment and hope, and he says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? In his grace, 
to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that is the beauty of the ministry and life of Jesus. Now, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else, that is the beauty of the ministry and life of Jesus. Because if you dare to examine the life of Jesus, you'll find somebody who acted justly. You'll find somebody who loved mercy. And you'll find somebody who walked humbly with his God. Did he not? And as such, we have a Savior. So when we fail to act justly, when we fail to show mercy, when we fail to walk humbly and we pump ourselves up instead and say things like, I should have this, but y'all down here should not. We understand that we're wrong, but that Jesus is right. And in Jesus, we are made right before a holy, perfect God. Where are you today in regards to justice, in regards to liberty? Where's your heart today? Wherever it is, the heart you have in you, what makes you you is precious to God. He sent his son to die for it. And even as we're not complete in our understanding of liberty and justice, we know one who is. And we follow him in that. For the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like from Jesus' point of view. I pray you'll join us for that. As we get ready to worship, as we get ready to pray together and spend that time, I'd invite you to start that prayer with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your son, Jesus. And thank you for showing us in real time in history what justice and mercy look like in balance. Thank you for showing us that Jesus is the one who holds that balance perfectly in place. And that no one but Jesus is capable of doing that perfectly. Even as we fail and fall, you hold up the perfection of Jesus in front of us, not only as an example and as a guide, but as the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, as we get ready to sing to you now and as we get ready to worship you with this idea in our hearts, God, we ask that you work on each one of us. I ask that you work on me. Help me to know what it means to be generous with the justice of God, that all people receive the good news of Jesus, because all people are loved and cherished and sacrificed for. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.